Well, good morning, church. Uh, do you have your Luke journal? If you do, open it, and if you don't, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. This pandemic has brought with it a lot of anxiety, and it, and it usually comes at us because we're afraid of losing something we value, things like possessions, health, control. In Luke 12, Jesus invites anxious people concerned about all of those things to seek new values and new priorities and to find in that seeking the provision and the security that they were longing for. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, now What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then uh, you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also." Well, church, there's three things here I pray we see in this passage. A legit warning. Number two, a new outlook. And number three, a new pursuit. Number one, there is a legit warning here for you and I. A legit warning. 
Jesus had been teaching a large crowd. We find this out in the beginning of chapter 12, 12 verse 1, where thousands are gathered so tightly and they're trampling one another, Luke says. They were not practicing CDC guidelines. And someone in the crowd raises his voice and says, hey, hey, tell my bro to divide the inheritance with me. Imagine that, two brothers fighting. That's weird. Two brothers fighting over inheritance. He wants Jesus to settle a dispute. It must have been an ugly dispute. And instead of doing actually what the man wants, Jesus basically says, I'm not playing referee here. No, I'm not playing referee here. And he shares a parable instead. In verse 15, he gives this strict warning that needs to be taken to heart. It needs to be taken to heart. Don't think, ah, I'm good here. Someone else needs to hear this. You ever done that? You're like, oh, I'm so glad Darren's talking about this because so-and-so really needs to hear this. Or maybe in, in, in years or months past, you're just like, oh, I'm so glad. This is, you, sent, you, you sent a podcast to somebody. They need to hear this. And maybe they did. But listen, this morning, you need to hear this. I need to hear this. We all need to hear this. It's a legit warning for us. He gives a strict warning that needs to be taken to heart. So we cannot think, oh, I'm good here. He says one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So check it out. We are tempted every single day to believe the lie that our identity, that our life is in what we have. We are swimming in that culture. What we have defines us. It was a great year, apparently, for this wealthy farmer. He thinks, okay, wow, I don't have enough storage. I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. Yeah, bigger is better. Bigger ones. Seems commendable. Actually, it seems conservative even. Oh, wow, look at this guy. Notice the conversation, though, is with himself, no one else. Verse 19, and I will say to myself, or my soul, self, speaking to his whole being, self, you're good to go. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Now, what's happening here? He was living completely for himself. We could say this is the kingdom of self. He talks to himself. He plans for himself. He even congratulates himself. There's this self-focus, this self-reliance, a self-glorification happening in this short parable. But wait, God says, you fool. You one who has no regard for God. You you didn't take God into consideration at all. That's what a fool is, according to Scripture. One who has no regard for God. You consulted with your real authority. That's what he's saying. You consulted with your self. You lived indifferent to God's presence, indifferent to the needs of your community, and all the security that you thought you had, it was only an illusion because your soul is required of you tonight. You fool. Verse 21, Jesus drives the lesson home. It's the same for everyone who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Does God want his money? Is that what this is about? No. 
It is, it is much deeper than that. Covetousness is a legit threat that we need to be on guard against. Jesus thought so. Coveting. What is it? It's longing to have what you don't have. Yes, it, it can involve wanting what your neighbor has. You know, don't covet your neighbor's stuff. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. But it's also, it could just be longing to have what you don't have. Always wanting more. Just feeding that more monster. More, more, I want more. Never satisfied. Never satisfied. Greed is this intense and selfish desire for, for something, but especially money. And let me tell you, it is seductive. It is enticing. It's inviting. And it is a very dangerous trap. And it's not one that we readily admit we struggle with. Oh, we talk about lust. We talk about anger. We talk about all kinds of sin. But when it comes to coveting, when it comes to greed or selfishness or covetousness, I don't hear a lot of that. Jesus thought it was an important warning. And the early church thought so as well. In Colossians chapter 3, look what Paul says to the church of Colossae. He writes to them, and they're just like you and I, living, trying to figure out what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be faithfully following King Jesus. And he writes to them about their walk and their identity in Christ, but then out of that grows a life that shows they belong to another kingdom, another king. And he says this in chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. See, now that they're new in Christ, they can say no to certain things, and they should say no to certain things. And Paul gives this illustration of putting on and putting off, of putting to death uh, certain things. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Interesting. Covetousness, which is idolatry. What's idolatry? It's, it's worshiping a false god. It's putting anything in, in the place that really only God should be. An idol. We say, oh, I don't worship idols. Follow the trail of your time, of your thoughts. Where does that take you? Where are you giving yourself? What, what are you thinking about? What are you longing for? Oftentimes when we follow that trail, we see what we're living for. What could potentially be an idol that needs to be struck down or put in its right place. Something that really very good things really can become the best thing in our heart and mind. And they need to be put back in their rightful place. I'll give you a brief example. When I was dating my wife, before she was my wife, she was everything to me. And and, and in a a sense, as she should be. uh, But she was in the wrong place in my heart. It was... It, it, had, it had become very apparent to me, uh, but I was wrestling with that. And the Lord made really clear that she was an idol and that need, she needed to be laid down. It needed to be, I needed to let go. And, and the Lord really did a work in my life um, by her um, breaking up with me. And it, it broke my heart for like a year. I was the saddest person on the planet. And I wrote a lot of good, sad songs. But the Lord helped me in that time to see that she had become an idol. 
Now, he brought her back into my life, and I saw that he needed to have that first place. He needed to be that priority so I could properly love her. And so in the same way with, with money and with stuff, it's not like we have to get rid of everything that we own, and then we're free from coveting. Actually, that's not true. And Jesus is speaking to predominantly poor community here, which we'll get to in a second. But what is its place in our life? Let's keep, let's keep going. The man had built his own little kingdom. He had shrunk his life to the size of his life, as one author says. I like that. He had shrunk his life to the size of his life. His whole world had shrunk down to his barns, to his life, to him, you know, the retired life. Eat, drink, and be merry. I've worked hard. I'm good. I'm just going to kick my feet up. Okay. Everything had shrunk down. The parable helps us to see through the lie, though, through the illusion that he had security and safety in all of his stuff because he had built it up. This man was placing his faith, placing his security, placing his future in himself and in his possessions. Now, this is a real-life threat to our well-being. Church, it is, it is a legit threat. And it not only has the potential to distract you and to take you off course, but it will consume you, it will rob you, and it will leave you for dead. Jesus says, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Let's say you have it all, and everything you could ever imagine and dream of, but you lose your soul, yourself. What good is it? And Jesus is always making those comparisons in his ministry. He, he helps just hold up the true value of things. Put it on the scale. You get it all. But you lose your soul? What good is it? A person warns you of danger ahead because they don't want you to get hurt. Jesus is warning us of danger. So this preoccupation with material possessions, like I said, is the air we breathe. It's the, it's the, the water we're swimming in in this culture. And no one readily admits, oh yeah, that's me, I struggle. So I want us to evaluate where we are with regards to stuff. Does our stuff have a hold on us? What place is that? Is that stuff in our life? It's an important question to ask. Jesus is exposing values and priorities that we need to give up. We need to surrender. They're old values. That belongs to our old way of life. He's calling us to guard against those things always for our good and for our freedom. He knows what can trip us up. He knows. And if you think you're exempt from tripping up in this way, oh, you're wrong. We are all prone to trip this way. Number two, a new outlook. A new outlook. New values. New priorities. So in light of this parable about uh, covetousness, about falling prey to kingdom of self, Jesus then launches into new values and new priorities, a new outlook for his disciples. He turns to his disciples and he said to them, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Okay? So he turns, in light of what you've just heard me say, don't be anxious about your life. And then he, he goes uh, on and he's basically saying, life is more valuable than what you eat or what you have or what you wear. If, if, if you're a student right now in, in, in middle school or high school, you're probably thinking, um, what I wear is most important. <laughs> I don't know. Jesus is saying, life is more valuable 
than what you eat, what you wear, or what you have. You are far more valuable than you know, and the Father is delighted to give you what has the greatest value of all. That's essentially what he gets to. Now, he's helping correct our, our, our priorities and our value system because our value system can be way off at times. And so here he's saying, verse 23, life is far more valuable than what you eat, what you wear, or what you have. Now, Jesus is aware of the many people within the sound of his voice as he's preaching this message. They would, they would not uh, have been certain where their next meal was going to come from. Most listening would maybe own two articles of clothing. So he understands that. And Jesus is deeply aware uh, uh, that the uncertainty of a person's future or the frailty of life or even just the interruption of daily routine. Can you relate to any of that? The uncertainty of our future, the frailty of life, interruption of daily routine. He understands that that produces anxiety. So Jesus is essentially saying, your hope, it's coming from the wrong source. A reorientation is called for. You are not your source. See, the rich man, the rich farmer, self, soul, you've done good. Eat, drink, and be merry. You fool. You are not your source. You've forgotten your source. A reorientation, a new outlook is called for. God is your source. And what does Jesus say? God feeds, God controls, God clothes, and God knows. How does he say that? Verse 24, consider the ravens. He says, stop and look at the birds. I I love Jesus' teaching. So profound, so simple. So deep, so beautiful, so easy to remember. And we're to carry these, uh, these lessons in our hearts, these parables, these, these teachings in our heart. And we're to teach them to others. But he says, consider the ravens, consider the birds. Now, most mornings after we wake Silas up, I'll take him and we go to the front porch and we sit and we look at the burrs. They're burrs. They're not birds. Silas calls them burrs. We look at the burrs and the squirrels and... We look at the sun coming up, and we just do that for a few minutes, but that's our routine. And so Jesus is saying, look at the birds. Look at those birds. God feeds them. He is their source, and he is your source. Now, Jesus is arguing from lesser to greater, and he does that all the time. Here's the question. How much more valuable are you than the birds? If this is how God meets their needs... Do they have barns, Jesus says? Do they have a storehouse? Now you have to hear the humor behind that. He had just talked about a rich farmer who built all these barns. Do these birds of the air have any barns? I'm sure the crowd would have made the connection. Been laughing a little bit. No, (laughs) birds don't have barns. Are you not much more valuable to God than the birds of the air? Well, well, yeah. If you put it that way, Jesus... And, and don't you trust someone who values you? Isn't that when your trust increases and grows, when you see how much they cherish you and they value you? And so he says, consider the ravens. Consider the birds. Don't stop looking at the birds. <laughs> Verse 25 and 26, stop worrying. 
He says it doesn't produce a single thing in your life. You have far less control than you're willing to admit, essentially is what he's saying. You you can't add a single hour to your life, Jesus says, which is a small thing, he says. Apparently, um, it's a very small thing for God to add to our life. But he says, so why are you anxious? You can't even do this small thing. And, and I have to admit, church, this is where I was getting a little aggravated um, this last week as I was preparing this message. I'm thinking to myself, Jesus, how can you say don't be anxious? How can you say don't be anxious when, with, all of, with all of this stuff coming at me? Because let me tell you, um, I mean, just like you, uh, I've got my own battles of, of, with anxiety and worry. And, and so I'm, I'm sitting here prepping this, and I'm and reading this, and I'm hearing what Jesus is saying. I'm like, really? How can you say this when all of this is happening to me? I'm thinking to myself, don't you see this? How am I supposed to deal with, with all of this, with all the things that are left undone, with all of the unknowns, the things that I, I desperately want to tie a neat bow on, and I can't? Back of my head's getting all tense. And I'm reading a passage on not worrying. And God whispered to me, you can't add a single hour to your life. You are not in control. I am. Did he actually whisper that? Did I hear the whisper? No. But I read this passage that says, I can't add a single hour to my life. And it was as if the Lord just, just right straight to the heart. Darren, you, you're not in control. I am. First Peter. First Peter, it says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Now, when I read the passage... And, I've, and I've, I felt the, the Spirit of God really speak that to my heart. I had a choice to make in that moment to, to bucket and resist or to humble myself in that moment and say, okay, you're right. I am not in control, but what does that mean? Where, where is this going to take me? What does, that look, what does that then look like to move forward in the midst of such crazy days and times and feelings? First Peter Chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand so that in the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We are going to have anxiety. We are going to have worry and fear, especially in this time, this unique season, this pandemic. comes with all kinds of anxieties. Where are we to take them? Where, Where do we go with them? We can cast them on the Lord knowing that he cares for us. We have a place to bring our anxieties. He says in verse 27, after telling us to consider the birds, after telling us we can't add a single hour to our life, he then says, consider the lilies, the flowers. Oh, they're gorgeous. They're breathtaking. He clothes the grass of the field with these flowers. It's better than King Solomon in all of his pomp and splendor. King Solomon was David's son. He had the, uh, uh, just this flourishing kingdom and he had all the riches of the world and wisdom. The man would have been on the cover of GQ for sure. He looked good. 
He dressed good. Jesus said, oh man, the flowers of the field, more beautiful than Solomon. How much more will he clothe you? How much more will God provide for you? Verse 30, all the nations seek after these things. They seek after uh, food and stuff and clothing, but, and th- that's priority number one for those who don't know God, the nations, meaning uh, those uh, who don't know the Lord, who aren't in relationship, who aren't in covenant relationship with the living God. All the nations seek after these things. All peoples seek after these things, but not you. Why? Because your Father knows that you need these things. He knows what you need and what you want. And so listen, Jesus is saying here, the Father feeds, he controls, he clothes, and he knows. Take this to heart. Your Father, your Heavenly Father, feeds. He he knows, he controls, and he clothes you. Stop living in the dark thinking God is unaware and unconcerned with your needs. Stop it. Let's, I'm not just saying that to you, I'm saying that to me. Let's stop living in the dark thinking God is unconcerned about our needs, about our cares. Let's stop that. All all of this requires trust in his character. It requires belief that he loves us and he cares for us and he's looking out for our best interests. It requires pushing against everything our first parents, Adam and Eve, decided wasn't true. You get that, right? We're pushing against everything Adam and Eve decided wasn't true. They decided that God couldn't be trusted, and they decided that they knew better. And here, Jesus is inviting us into something new. New priorities, new values, a new outlook, a way forward. Living with our eyes on a gracious Father who loves us, who knows what we need, who clothes us, who controls everything, who feeds us, who provides for us. And so Jesus continues on, and he talks about a new pursuit in light of that. Verse 31. Instead of seeking all of these things, instead of letting that be the drive of your life, instead of letting that be number one priority, Jesus is giving us a new pursuit, something else to run after. Instead, seek his kingdom, the Father's kingdom. And these things, oh, they'll be added to you. Oh, they're secondary. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here church were to seek this idea of seeking is just let your attention hold unswervingly to this it implies this ongoing commitment this undistracted pursuit it's it's a lifestyle choice that involves your entire being or your whole heart now if you're seeking his kingdom this is god's loving rule his good rule uh, over us And Jesus went about, by the way, proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. It's near. It's present. Why is that good news? Because if God reigns, and if God is gracious and good and just in all his ways, it's good for those who are under oppression. 
it's good for those who are looking for freedom and hope and salvation. God reigns. And Jesus proclaimed the reign of God. And he, he understood that he was the king of the kingdom. And that's exactly it. If you're seeking his kingdom, Jesus is your greatest priority because Jesus is the king. So where there's a kingdom, there's a king. And Jesus is the king of the kingdom that we're seeking. And so what does that look like then to seek first the kingdom, to let that be the priority of our life? Now, next Sunday, we're going to talk more about the kingdom in detail. Uh, But here, we we can know this. It's living in a way that demonstrates Jesus' loving rule over our life. We're trusting him. We're living in a way, and that can look like so many different things. We're going to live in a way that demonstrates Jesus' rule, his loving and good and just rule over us. Seeking the kingdom, it requires persistence, but it, it grows out of new affection. So there's persistence there on our part, but it grows out of this new affection and desire for God to honor him and to see that he's our greatest treasure. Look at verse 42 again. It is so sweet. It's so powerful. He says, fear not, little flock. He said, do not be anxious previous to this. And now he says, fear not. Oh, he's putting them at ease. Fear not, little flock. Such tender, affectionate words for those that he knows will wrestle with all kinds of fear and anxiety. I want you to hear them as if spoken to you in this very moment. Fear not. Fear not, little flock. He's not talking down to us. He's not rebuking us. He's speaking words of affection and comfort. Hear them now. Fear not, little flock. Fear not. It's your father's good pleasure. It's your father's joy to give you something. Every child knows when dad's about to give them something, oh, they're excited. They're like, okay, what is it? What what, what do you have for me, dad? What, What does he have for us? He's not holding back the kingdom for us what for real well what does that even mean i i'm I'm called to seek it yes but he's going to give it yes so seek it pursue it with everything in you and know that it's the father's good pleasure to give it Uh, to give what the kingdom the good rule his rule his reign the beauty of what it looks like to live under his rule for his glory It's what we were created for. I had my list of anxieties this week. I'm sure you have yours. Where do I go with them? What do I do with them? We talked about casting our cares on the Lord. Let me say this. If we're going to receive something new, we have to let go of what we're holding on to. If someone has a gift for me, I have to let go of what's in my hands. The Father, it's his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. But we have to let go of what we're holding on to. In verses 33 through 34, we need to receive what the Father has for us. We need to let go of the things that maybe we're holding on to, but we we realize they're actually, they have a hold on us. Jesus knows the things we're tempted to hold on to will actually have a hold on us. But when we seek and receive what he has for us, we move forward with an open hand towards God and towards others. Hear that. When we seek and receive what God the Father has for us, we move forward with open hands. God, what do you have for me? I'm ready to receive. I'm ready to live and to pursue you wholeheartedly. But we also have an open hand towards others. 
And that's what Jesus gets at, this open-handed generosity towards others because we've been the recipients of this open-handed generosity from the Father who gives us the greatest thing that we could ever treasure or value, and that is himself, his rule and reign, his good and righteous and loving rule over us. We're the recipients of this self-giving love, this generosity in Jesus, and so we're to reflect that love and generosity with our possessions. You know, when he gets into this, it doesn't mean we can't have houses or a savings account. It doesn't mean we're to, you know, just get rid of everything that we own. We see in the New Testament that people met in homes that they owned and, 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 and all of that. But what does it mean? What does it mean? When we live this way in pursuit of the kingdom, when we live with open-handed generosity towards others, we're showing that covetousness and anxiety, they don't have a hold on us. We show we're free from the spell that they put us under. You see that? We're living open-handed towards God, open-handed with our possessions. They got no hold on me because I'm not holding on to them. They got no hold on me. I'm pursuing the kingdom. I'm pursuing Jesus wholeheartedly. I've received the generosity so rich, so beautiful, and now I'm going to live generously towards others. And not because we're in denial, but because we're in pursuit of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It cannot be shaken. It cannot be taken from us. And so when you pursue with your whole being, well, that's what you treasure. Whatever you pursue with your whole being is what you treasure. Your life communicates what you value, what you treasure. Bottom line, seek the kingdom. Pursue it wholeheartedly. Now, what happens if you relate more with the rich farmer in the parable? You're like, oh, man, I relate more with that guy. What do you do? Pray this, Lord, help me take your warning seriously. Help me to live with a new outlook on life, with new values and new priorities, and to pursue your kingdom for the treasure it is. It really is. Maybe you're just going to end there. Lord, help me to pursue what is most valuable. Help me to pursue your kingdom and to richly receive freely from you what you have for me. Start there. Now, what happens if your anxieties are all consuming? You're like, all right, great, Darren. Jesus said don't be anxious, and you're telling me not to be anxious, but they're all consuming. It's all I can think about. I can't shake it. What do I do? And I'm scared because it takes me places that I don't want to go, and it takes me uh, down paths that are dark. What do you do? Get desperate before the Lord. Luke 12. Open it up keep it open and say this help me help me to take your warning seriously help me to live with this new outlook but help me to treasure your kingdom above all things he'll do it he'll give you new affections and new desires he'll bring you to a place of having to humble yourself under his mighty hand of letting go of things that you've been holding really too tightly to surrendering trusting, resting. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, you know. And that cannot be taken from you. So when you have the greatest treasure you could ever have, and it can never be taken away, we can move forward with confidence and trust that all these other things will be taken care of. You were made for this, to seek his kingdom, to seek his faithful provision and power, to rest under his loving control and rule in Jesus.
Let's pray. Father, help us to live this way. Help us, Lord, to have this new pursuit, this seeking first your kingdom, giving us a new priority and new values. Help us to, as we do this, see how much you value us and provide for us. You clothe us. You you feed us. You know our every need, and, and you're the one in control, so help us to rest in that. Keep us, Lord, from living in the dark, believing that you're uninvolved or uninterested. Instead, help us to see your generous open-handedness towards us in freely giving us the kingdom and help us to live open-handed towards others. Oh, God, work this in us. Thank you for teaching us how to live truly and to be set free from this, this kingdom of self. Keep us from it, Lord, we pray. Keep our eyes on your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.